always work hard, never be outworked, but above all, always be you. Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of changemakers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home. Getting the care you need is so important, but where do you turn if you don't have access to reliable health care? That's the question Charles Drew Health Center in Omaha has been answering since 1983 when it first opened its doors. Today, as a leader in community health and with locations all across Omaha, including several at public schools and public housing facilities, the organization is still focused on providing comprehensive medical care for anyone who needs it, regardless of their ability to pay. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Agency for Change podcast. This is Lynn Weinman, President and Chief Strategist of Kid Glove. Today we're talking with Kenny McMorris, CEO of Charles Drew Health Center, which is working to grow a healthy community in Omaha by providing quality, comprehensive health care. Kenny, welcome to the podcast. No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, thanks for having me and looking forward to having a great conversation here. Uh, me too. So we talked a little bit about Charles Drew Health Center in the introduction, but could you talk a bit more about what the organization does and who you serve? Yeah, yeah. So Charles Drew Health Center is what is called a federally qualified health center or called an FQHC. And the genesis of the FQHC movement actually started out of the civil rights movement in the early 60s. Out of Mount Bayou, Mississippi, there was a place in the in the Boston area as well where communities that underserved typically have some challenges in terms of their environment, their environment, uh, folks were saying, hey, we need access to healthcare that is native to us. And so out of that started the, the community health center movement. And so here in Omaha, there's a total of actually two what is known FQHCs, and Charles Drew is the oldest uh, and longest running one in the state of Nebraska. There's a total of seven. And so in the early 80s, there were a number of folks in this community that said, hey, we have great health systems. Uh, However, the importance of health maintenance and prevention and the North Omaha community specifically is not getting the healthcare services at the rate and the level and the engagement in which the community deserves. And so through a series of events, the community and Creighton University and others got together and formed this small clinic um, out of a out of a laundromat. The Omaha Housing Authority was also a partner there. And so our primary site, which is located off of 30th and Lake, was the first physical location uh, for the health center. Um, and did and you then, mention uh, it was started in a laundromat or in a building that yeah, was once yeah, a laundromat? Yeah, once a laundromat, exactly, yeah. And the surrounding area, prior to the way that it currently looks, it looks a lot better now, and there's a lot of economic development happening. But we used to be surrounded by housing projects. So the the Hilltop housing projects, as well as the Pleasant View housing projects, were surrounding in this area. And so through a series of events, legislation, and uh, some, some people that had the vision said, hey, let's create this community health center, use leverage federal dollars, and Bob Carey played a significant role in that, and that's what started uh, Charles U. Health Center. Personal note, uh, I grew up, I'm a native of Omaha, born and raised here in Omaha, 
And I grew up in those hilltop projects. And so wow. my family, one of the first families to receive services at this health center. And so I know firsthand uh, the value of what Charles Drew brings. Um, I know we talk a lot about healthcare and keeping people healthy. Uh, but I like to say that this place is, is really a beacon of hope. And so you look at uh, the things that we're doing for this community in terms of promoting health and wellness, uh, but really we are really spawning a lot of development and support for families and meeting them where they are. So that's our story. And we'll be coming up and celebrating 40 years of service to this community next ah, year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So looking forward to, to that celebration and culmination of just uh, thought leaders and, and folks uh, that really have a vested interest in making sure everyone has affordable and accessible health care. A couple of things of note I'll add is that part of our charge as being a federally qualified health center, you have to kind of meet rigorous requirements uh, by the federal government. And so our primary funding source is through the Health Services and Resources Administration Bureau of Primary Health Care. And with that, uh, you must have a consumer governing board of at least 51% consumers of your service. And so they, again, it's uh, put in legislation to ensure that the health centers remain uh, connected to the community and really keep community first. And there's a lot of value in that. Additionally, the board has to be made up and reflective of the community from a uh, race and ethnicity perspective, income uh, guidelines and demographics, as well as we have a special designation, which the feds call special populations. And those are for those individuals that are experiencing homelessness mm -hmm. or those that may be residents of public housing. And so uh, we have individuals in our governing board that have lived experience in those particular areas. And they bring value, uh, obviously, to how we manage and, and, and govern uh, this organization. I'll also add, as, as you may be aware, Omaha is changing. The, 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 demographics, yeah. the demographics and dynamics are changing. And so historically, we have served a uh, majority black population. Uh, but we have a lot of refugees that are calling Omaha and North Omaha specifically home. And so we have a relatively high Asian uh, population, many families from Karen, uh, that speak Karen and Burmese. And so we have representation of that on our board as well. And so, again, I, I really look at the why FQACs exist and, and the work that we do here at Charles Drew is so important to the community. Um, I have the, the pleasure of working. Uh, we have roughly about 230 employees, uh, 11 service delivery sites, and two mobile units, and pleasure of serving a little over 13,000 patients, roughly about 40,000 encounters across all of our sites. And so, again, uh, really making sure people get access regardless of their income status, uh, regardless of their economic status, to affordable quality health care. So that's that's who we are and why we, why we do what we do. That's a fantastic overview. I appreciate I appreciate all of that. And I'd love to circle back to something you said. So you grew up in the area, use the services. I'd love to hear a bit about your career path. You know, what did you do before coming back to Charles Drew? And how did that impact the way that you lead today? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's quite an interesting journey and one in which I never thought I would be in this particular position that I'm in today. So again, grew up in North Omaha, had a lot of good people that had influence on the direction of my life in terms of just taking a vested interest in, 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 in me. And, and I like to call them the others, it's, it's the people that are <laughs> janitors, 
the basketball coaches, it's the the people at church, it's the the people on the on the street. Yeah. And so I was the uh, oldest. I'm the oldest of five, uh, single parent household. And so my mother did everything she could, and and still continues to do everything she can. I can't imagine. I, you know, I mean, I just can't imagine being a single parent with, with five kids. That's a, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. My my mother is truly a superwoman. Um, (laughs) But I I will say we had a very solid network. I mean, we had a lot of people in our family. And like I said, community really uplifted me and and just provided me with a different way of life and, and saying that there could be something different other than what I was experiencing on 24th, the 24th Street Corridor, 24th and Lake is kind of where I grew up. And so I was fortunate to play basketball. Basketball was kind of my refuge. And, and so I went on, I'm a Central alum, so I graduated from Central High School. Did two year uh, of a community college to kind of figure out what I needed to do next and had the fortune of transferring to Tennessee State University uh, where I was able to kind of advance playing basketball, take a couple of credits. I didn't necessarily graduate from the school. And so I ended up coming back home and completing my undergrad degree here at at UNO. And uh, through that process, I joined an organization called Social Settlement, uh, which is now called KidsCan here in Omaha. And and so uh, at the time I was working on a master's degree, got into kind of social services, but I I really wanted to be in business. Everyone says, go into business. That's where you're going to make a lot of money. (laughs) And and so I said, well, I kind of, I enjoy people. I enjoy the human spirit, and but I do like the idea of creating something and starting something and the excitement associated with that. And so I continued in that space, and, and, and there was an opportunity that became available at the Urban League of Nebraska for development director. Sure. And knew of all the services at the Urban League, participated in a lot of those growing up, and I'm working on my master's. I know how to write grants. Why not? So I put my name in a hat, and I became the development director of the Urban League. Stayed in that role for two years, and during that time, it allowed me to build my network of influence and people. And uh, there's an organization called the 100 Black Men of Omaha uh, that really focuses on mentorship, especially of young black boys. And they had been doing a lot of good work programmatically, but did not have an infrastructure in place in terms of staffing and, and true fundraising. And so the board chair at the time said, hey, uh, there's an interest in really formalizing this thing would you be interested in becoming the first executive director? And I said, why not? My wife and I were kind of young in our in our early days and we said, let's give it a shot. So I became the first ED of the 100 Black Men of Omaha. I was the youngest at the time across the country. And that really uh, allowed me to start understanding how the engine of service works here in Omaha. So whether it's through philanthropy, uh, navigating boards, working with people, and uh, life began to happen for my wife and I. Uh, we were expecting our first child, and uh, my wife was at an event, and they were kind of talking about the brain drain in Omaha. We were using, losing a lot yeah. of talent, and and so she said, "Guess what? My husband is looking for a job now." That's fine. I was. We were. Not, you don't we were always do that so publicly, right? <laughs> Well, the, the guy that was doing the presentation happened to be Dr. Richard Brown, who was my predecessor, and he also was on the board for the 100 Black Men. So that was the that was news to the board that I was on, and it was like, <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> so I had a conversation with him about what was going to be next career path, and I told him I knew nothing about healthcare. I know how this town works. I understand philanthropy in this town. I understand the businesses in this town. I understand leadership. I mean, those are all things that were. It's a comfort level for me, but I knew nothing about healthcare. 
And so I said, if you would take me under your wing, take me on this journey, uh, someday uh, you will kind of be able to ride off into the sunset knowing that you have a great succession plan in place. And I joined Charles Drew in 2009, had a chance to kind of work myself up and became the chief operating officer. And seven years ago, literally to almost to the day, uh, I became the the CEO of this whole center. And so uh, I really look at, uh, I've always wanted to try to make impact in this community and and really give back to so many have given to me. Never thought it was gonna be in this role. And and I feel like working with the staff that we have here today, I'm doing everything I can and and feel like I'm living a dream, quite frankly, uh, to influence the lives of those that um, I deeply love in this community. So. Uh, Kenny, I love hearing about people's journeys and what a great journey you've been on. And I also like to talk to change makers, and you're definitely a change maker making a difference in the community. And I'm even curious, you know, bringing it full circle, how do you think it impacts the way that you lead, knowing that you lived, grew up in the neighborhood, and you received services at Charles Drew at one time? Yeah, no, actually, I still am a patient here at the health center. Nice, I like that. yeah, Yeah. So I'm still a patient and I have family members that are still patients, people that I that I, that I deeply love and connected to that are patients here at the health center. So it, it really is, it, it, it's top of mind and quite frankly leads everything that we do. Um, I always have uh, been one to try to te- keep this community first and everything that I've done in every organization I've been a part of and even the, the boards and committees that I have the pleasure of serving on today. But how it go, how it influences how we provide care is, is is really one in which I think healthcare has not done a great job historically, and we still are in this bucket of, of really putting people first. We talk a lot about patient-centered services yeah. and always putting the patient in the center. But what does that really mean, right? And, and I think there's a level of authenticity that has to come out in how we provide those services, whether it's through our transportation and operations and logistics, or through the provision of care, how we engage with our physicians and their practitioners and dentists and, and therapists. And so it, it really is about how do you make people feel comfortable? How do you make them feel of value? And most importantly, how do you make them feel safe? And, and, I, and I think about when individuals are talking about care planning and, and making sure people are healthy, we tend to have a disconnect between what are just your basic needs, right? Yeah. Are you, how can we, can we help you reach happiness? Or what are the things that we can do to help support you on your journey to, to do more for you and your family and your community? And so, so much of, of healthcare goes beyond just the provision of the services. It's really about your built environment, uh, the things that you're experiencing on a daily basis. And I, and I think that we're starting to get closer yeah. to that point. I think COVID has, has, uh, uh, has really forced us to really start looking at how are we adjusting mentally? What does wellness really look like? And, and then ultimately, what is optimal health? But I think for us, it has always been at the core of who we are and what we do from the employees that we have, who many of them are native to this community. Um, that is very intentional. Uh, we want people to, to, to feel comfortable coming into our health center. Uh, but most importantly, uh, making sure people feel of value. And, and the population that we have the pleasure of serving far too often are, are left on the outside looking in. And, and we say that's, that's not how we're going to change community. That's not how we're going to transform uh, people's lives if we're not putting them at the center of our decision making and how we provide care. Yeah, that's great. You know, healthcare is a, it's a, when you're receiving healthcare, it's a really vulnerable 
moment in your life, right? Like a really vulnerable moment. And it's, it can be so hard to figure out what to do. So I, I love that about Charles Drew, that, that you provide this comprehensive and very accessible service to people. So you mentioned earlier that you're one of a few federally qualified health centers or FQHCs in, in Omaha and, and even in Nebraska. How does being an FQHC set you apart from other healthcare organizations? Yeah, so I, I would like to say what it really it really is, is that it's the comprehensive nature and coordinated effort amongst our services. And so we are an out, well, there's over 1,400 across the country, and everyone has a model that is really catered to the needs of that community. Uh, what we provide specifically is what is called ambulatory care or outpatient services. Okay. So, again, we are in the business of health maintenance and provision, uh, prevention, and so doing everything we can to support our patients and this community's efforts on this health journey. Specifically, our primary services include uh, medical, dental, behavior health, pharmacy access, as well as what we call enabling services. And so uh, for us, it's a, a level of coordination that far too often patients have to go, a primary care provider here, if they're seeking therapy, they have to go to another place. If that definitely from an oral health standpoint, dentists are not usually communicating with uh, physicians in, in many cases. And, and, and when we really think about medication management, adherence and things of that nature, while the movement is starting to get closer towards integration there, we've always had this as a model for our health center. And so uh, the reason being is that we don't want our patients to have to navigate all of these complex environments and services when we can kind of have them as a one-stop shop per se. So that really is what the foundation of what our health center um, is. Uh, additionally, we focus on a lot of what is known as the social determinants of health, and, and, and there's a lot more research and evidence that is coming out relative, that, relative to the fact that your built environment, your zip code, is a greater indicator of either life expectancy and wellness versus genetic factors, so on and so forth. And so it, it becomes really important for places like ours to really connect the dots and understanding that housing is healthcare, education is healthcare. Mm-hmm. Employment itself. And so working across sectors to really ensure that individuals are being uplifted and supported in ways that promote optimal health. And so um, that's where I spend a lot of my time and the advocacy and, and, and policy realm and having those conversations about the importance of, of not silo, siloing those things uh, for individuals and families. So, so, so at, our, at our core, that's why it's really, really important. Our service delivery model meets the needs of our patients. But I think probably most important is the, the idea uh, that from a financial standpoint, so many of our families are experiencing poverty. And, and dealing with the challenges that, that come along with that, that you want to try to remove any of those barriers, and financial barriers is one of those. Uh, we were very fortunate in the state of Nebraska through ballot initiative in 2018 to expand Medicaid. And while Medicaid expansion or at least access to some form of insurance doesn't ensure optimal health, it goes a long way in yeah. alleviating that. And so our work is really centered around all of those particular areas and making sure individuals are not turned away for healthcare. And so uh, we take all major payers, again, commercial, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, but we have what is called a sliding fee scale. And based on family size and income, uh, that will dictate what an individual may pay for services. In many cases, it may be zero. 
Uh, it can go as high as $80 uh, for, for a visit as well. So being an FQHC and receiving support uh, from the federal government to augment uh, other resources that we have through philanthropy and, and patient service revenue allows us to keep this health center open and, and remove barriers to our patients. Now, as part of that, though, you have to adhere to rigorous requirements. And, and while we understand that uh, it's great to be a federally qualified health center, Hearst the Bureau of Primary Health Care and the federal government and Congress have some very strict rules. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> how funds can be used and where they can be used. And so compliance is always the name of the game in our world and making sure that we're adhering to, to the rigor associated with that. It's a contract with the feds and a contract with this community to provide those services. So sure. uh, we do adhere to strict uh, re- uh, regulations and from all the way how we manage our 340B pharmacy program to how we go about the operations of the health center, being a patient-centered medical home. and uh, We are uh, joint commission accredited, which means we get the seal of approval for risk management and patient safety. And we choose to go through that process every three years uh, to really demonstrate. That's a rigorous process too, I understand, right? A lot of work. Yeah, it is. It's it's unannounced. You don't know when they're coming, and so it, anytime you get someone that comes in with white gloves, uh, you kind of <laughs> say, "Hey, you, you know you're doing the work, right? Because it's part of your culture, it's part of what you do." Uh, but when you get someone that comes in and, and really gives you that stamp of approval to say that you're meeting all of these particular requirements, uh, that you are uh, making sure that your employees employees and patients are safe that you're following the, uh, the latest on evidence-based practice for patient care and safety, uh, it really means a lot. And, and, and again, we celebrate that. We want our community to know that uh, when they're coming into our facilities, that uh, we take a sense of pride in meeting those expectations uh, along with providing them great care. So being an, being an FQHC, again, from a community perspective, there's a lot of advantages to it. But also, I would also say that uh, as, as taking on that, that responsibility, uh, you have to make sure that you're checking off all the boxes and, and you're meeting those expectations that are set up by the federal government. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that just ensures the community and your patients that you are providing the highest, the very highest standard of care. And, and I think that's great. So Kenny, is there anything that people get wrong about Charles Drew? Any misperceptions that that are out there that that we should help alleviate. Yeah, so I'll start with the fact that we are a free clinic. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people think we are just a free clinic, and, and and while we provide service, we try to alleviate the financial barrier to to care and to services. We are not a free clinic. Uh, just like any other business, you have to make sure that you're operating and, and leveraging resources and being good stewards of the dollars. Um, ultimately, we're a federal program. And so uh, we have to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. All of us are paying into the system. And so it's important that we, we kind of dispel that myth around the fact of being a free clinic. Um, the other part I will say, and, and, and we take great pride in that many health centers over their evolution have the ebbs and flows of just having systems and operations that from time to time they're a challenge. I mean, again, we're yeah. taking care of a population. In our case, uh, 98% of our patients are 200% below the federal poverty level. Mm. And so when you're really thinking about that, uh, we don't want that to be a reason why people don't get access to care. 
but yet you still need the resources to ensure that you're uh, creating a climate of innovation and creativity, as well as being able to have the best clinicians and support staff uh, available. And, and so um, it's important that we run a very fiscally solvent organization to be able to do so. And so uh, we require the support of the broader community, philanthropies, individual donors, people that believe in the mission and the work that we do. So we're not a free clinic. Um, this is the first thing I would like to say, that we do provide these services in a way that we want folks to, to, to not have barriers, but know that if we're providing a great service, which we really believe that we do, that there is some, some incentive to pay for that, right? That's There's a way for us to keep this health center for decades to come and keep it operational and solvent. The other piece I will say is, is that um, people tend to believe that our quality of care is not as high or equal to what you may find in, in regular health systems. And I kind of go back to the rigorous requirements of the Joint Commission and others to really kind of poke holes in that myth. Yeah. Uh, that there, a lot of things that we do from chronic disease management, the reporting metrics that we have to report out on infant mortality, um, as a uh, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and diabetes, we are really looked at uh, with a magnifying glass in terms of making sure that we are using the best systems to help individuals in our community reach optimal health. So it's not as if we're taking in uh, these resources. And, and, and not putting a product out to really demonstrate to the community that we are being good stewards of the dollars. So I think that tends to be one of the greatest, uh, the two greatest myths uh, about any FQHC. Yeah. And, and, and Charles Drew is no different than that, that uh, one, I want folks to always know that the quality and the services that we are providing are equal to or better than where you will find in private practice. And then two, that we're not a free clinic. Uh, we're here to help support the community. Uh, while we don't want financials uh, to be a barrier for you accessing care, uh, we still ask people to pay what they can according to where they are uh, to support uh, everyone within the broader community. Yeah, thank you for, for setting the record straight on those two things. So when we were preparing for this conversation, we came across an article that talked about Charles Drew being a leader in the community during the pandemic. And I'd really love to hear about how you responded to COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, no. Thank you for asking that. And I, and I really, I think all of us in, in the healthcare business, whether you're a practicing clinician, whether you're an administrator, or you're someone that's just helping the system uh, kind of go and flow, you do everything you can to prepare for moments like this. Yeah. Um, your training teaches you to prepare for moments like this, but you never think that you will ever be in a situation. No. Even days before the event happened, I think some of us didn't even believe it was going to be what it what it was. Yeah, no, you do these tabletop, top, uh, tabletop exercises. You talk about pandemic and endemic plans and what you would do in terms of public health, community health, and systems. But you never thought you would be in this environment. And, and so we tend to operate on the margins anyhow. We, we, the, the way that, because of the way that we're structured, uh, we do the best that we can with what we have. And so what the pandemic did was just accelerate how we make our decision making. And, and, and it required us to, to make decisions with very limited information. Yeah. Very limited information. But these will be decisions that would, would impact and influence not only the people that we serve, but also the folks in the greater North Omaha community. One of the things that, that we really pride on ourselves on here at Charles Drew is that the community trusts us. 
One of the challenges with healthcare overall is that people of color, and I'll say specifically the black people in this community, just have an overall mistrust for the healthcare delivery system. And so for us, uh, we really are trying to do everything we can to meet people where they are, where they are, help support them along that journey. And no matter where they fall in terms of the healthcare system, that knowing they have a place that when they are ready, uh, we will be willing to take them and support them throughout their journey. Well, unfortunately, COVID had to accelerate that, and we, especially with testing and vaccines, and we all, we historically have had a low uptake uh, rate uh, amongst vaccines within the Black community, and again, even the broader people of color. But it was just exacerbated during this pandemic because we just didn't know. And there was a lot of misinformation out there. So uh, we had to first step back and, and figure out what do we need to do to take care of our employees. Uh, our employees were our number one focus on how do we ease anxiety? How do we make sure they feel comfortable and feel safe in the working environment which we're in? Without st- without having all of that inf- without the information that we typically would have. So that was priority number one, our employees and our families. And priority number two uh, became, okay, how do we disseminate the information in a way that is digestible, that is factual based on on what we know at that particular time? And then how would we go back to them in the event that things changed? And what would be that frequency and how would we go about doing it? Uh, Recognizing that when Charles Drew would speak, we knew that there was going to be a subset of the population that already had mistrust for the system that would probably be a little bit more receptive and is what's going to be so important that we were speaking from a position of fact, because what we were seeing in other communities, not as much so here, but pretty some of the other communities, that this this pandemic is really impacting people of color, um, just because of the living conditions, the poverty in most of the cities, and, and that uh, we knew that if we had, when we were making statements, that there was going to be a lot riding on that. Uh, so we felt that was important. And then the final thing I would say is our ability within our overall system to be able to respond and provide care that that while it wasn't the most traditional way, we still would be able to provide some level of services to keep people moving forward in terms of health maintenance. So we had to pivot um, significantly in, in terms of more telehealth and telephonic services. How were we responding to some of our kids or our schools and families dealing with anxiety? So those phone conversations and Zoom <laughs> meetings and whatever platform will be used to connect with people, uh, we had to accelerate that. And and so those were kind of the three areas mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of led our decision-making process. I felt our governing board did an amazing job of, of really working with us. And, and again, most places, especially being in the seat that I'm in, will say, okay, boards are a certain way and you got to give. But we felt, uh, we felt that we were ready. And, and I think that the one that we kind of talked about going into the pandemic is either going to do two things coming out on the back end. is either we're going to crumble or it's going to yeah. make us stronger, better coming out on the back end. And I can honestly say sitting here today that we are a better organization as a result of it. I think that we uh, it allowed us to start crystallizing how the community perceives us and, and the leader that they, they perceive us to be in the healthcare space. But I also look at it and say that I think it's kind of set the bar pretty high for this health center as well. And, and that uh, people now will come to expect that uh, as other pandemics or endemics come about or other things that, uh, uh, that could affect health disparities and health equities, that we are leading with the same in, in intentionality and thoughtfulness that we did during the pandemic 
uh, to ensure this community is getting access to the resources. So I feel uh, that we uh, conducted ourselves really, really well. I will say that our, our workforce, like every other workforce, has, they're exhausted, yeah. uh, they're tapped out. But we have a very resilient group here. And, and, and so I give a lot of credit to our leadership, the people that wake up every day to, to figure out how do we do this and, and uh, continue to keep putting this community first. So it, it really was, a, I think, a testament to not only Charles Drew, there's other folks within this community that did great work. Uh, we had a, have a great relationship with the local health department, a great relationship with folks at the state level. And we've always had a really good relationship with connections at the federal level, but it required all of us to work together differently. Uh, Kenny, kudos to you and your team for all of the great work that you did. And I, I'm curious, as the pandemic seems to kind of stretch on, <laughs> what do your ongoing efforts look like? Yeah, so it's constantly one in which the evaluation, I think data, uh, I think throughout all of this, we have, we've started, we have started to really understand the importance of data, but more importantly, being able to take that information and make solid decisions based on what we see. And so uh, as an organization, we, we have a lot of information. As I said before, we share a lot of this stuff with the federal government, but how we unpack it and how we move things forward has been one that have, have as we move forward as an organization, that we step back and say, okay, hey, we need to really make sure we're leading with this. Also, the technology and, and access to technology, not only from our standpoint, but the end user. So how do we empower our communities? I think everyone has a cell phone, right? But how are we using the, the cell phone and, and apps within the cell phone or even the technologies within the cell phone to help advance healthcare and health access and, and helping the, the, the population navigate the use of those resources. So it, it really has required us to be think more critically uh, uh, about our resources and what we have, collectively how we work closely with other partners within the community. And, and I would say our, our model of care is still going to remain the same. The core of what we do, that will never change because, again, it's always been about people and accessing and getting them the access to where they are. But how we are doing that is uniquely different today and will be uniquely different moving forward. But I think the biggest piece is on how do we educate the population with, from a health literacy standpoint on how to use it so it works to their advantage. So a lot of our, our energy goes into efforts, what we call kind of enabling services, connectors, uh, people that, that work with individuals to work with their providers. It could be working with case managers. It could be working with housing specialists. Um, if you're looking for a job, employment services, uh, to get, connect our patients to those, those, those desperately needed resources. We know those things are there. As a community, we don't do as, as good of a job as I would like with connecting the dots in those areas. And mm -hmm. So a lot of our efforts and our work are really working on uh, making that happen. But then also, too, on the provision of care side, just making sure we are doing and being accessible to our patients. And access doesn't always mean physically walking into one of our buildings. It may be, okay, hey, I have a urgent care question, and, and do you have someone on your team that can respond to my question? Okay, our systems and technology have to be able to, to meet that. Or I'm having transportation issues, and my car broke down literally two hours before my appointment. I don't want to miss my appointment. Yeah. Well, we have vans to go pick up our patients. And so, so again, or I don't have a translator, maybe there's a language barrier. Uh, gap there. And so we have on-site interpreters that help our patients. And so making sure that our patients get those those support systems 
to really meet, reach optimal health. So for us, we really look at how do we continue to do those things just at a greater scale. And the final piece I will say is there's a lot of economic development going on in our community. Uh, there's a great emphasis on housing and, 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 and really building community. And so my hope is, is that uh, as the community grows, so does the Charles Drew Services. Uh, again, not only just from a fixed site perspective, but how we provide uh, additional supports. Like currently, we do not provide access to vision care, only through referrals. Mm. We'd love to have that on campus and part of our system. So working with our community partners and health systems to be able to provide that through, through our networks. That would be a nice addition. And Kenny, talking about connecting the dots, I know you were a part of the North o- Omaha COVID-19 Task Force. Can you tell me a bit about that involvement and the initiatives you were involved in? Yeah, so that 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 North Omaha COVID-19 Task Force, I think really started from even prior to that, there were groups of individuals that we were getting together to really talk about health and wellness in North Omaha. So the foundation had already been laid. The relationships had already been there. And so we really were, our focus was really more on health disparities. Like how do we alleviate the infant mortality? How do we uh, minimize or reduce uh, hypertension and diabetes within the community? So once <laughs> the pandemic hit, then we just completely pivoted to addressing um, the issues related to COVID-19. And, and again, a lot of it started with just being able to have a platform to talk about strategies and relay information. What do we know? What do we not know? What does this mean? And so that task force helped us kind of talk through a lot of those scenarios in real time. Additionally, coming up with plans on dissemination, so not only from the testing, because initially coming out, we were there were not enough. Uh, P, there wasn't enough PPE. There wasn't obviously right. testing uh, was not developed in a way to meet the need. So how would we go about this when it became available? And so how do we have a plan to make sure that the that the people that typically that are disenfranchised from our system get access to those services? And so how do we do this in a way that keeps our employees protected, right? So we know so much of this means we have to physically get out and get into to our homeless shelters or get out into our public housing towers or, or go to places to where people are. So how do we do this in a way that, that keeps everyone safe, right? And we, we don't want to create a super spreader, quote unquote, uh, event and activity. So the task force helped us work through that. Uh, a lot of us have uh, have from a from a uh, spiritual standpoint attend church and different activities in terms of working with our faith based faith based community, and far too I mean throughout the pandemic we were not able to congregate right and yeah. come together, and so what did that look like? How do we do this in a way? What is the six foot thing? Well, it's three foot, then it's six foot, then it's nine. <laughs> well, if I wear a mask, then you don't wear a mask. Do it. So so what are the probability? And, and so we had to really work through a, a lot of those things, and so. Again, leveraging our resources with the CDC, obviously having the University of Nebraska Medical Center here and right in our backyard was an an enormous resource. Um, And so that task force really helped us to really go through this process of figuring out how we were going to make sure that the community engaged. But one of the the probably the most important thing of this group, I think, was the advocacy and making sure that uh, resources, when it came down to communities that tend to have disproportionately greater chronic conditions. And what we were seeing early in the pandemic, that these were the populations that were, be effect, that were being affected by COVID. 
And so if you more than likely had hypertension or diabetes and ended up contracting the virus, it was almost a direct line to, to hospitalization and then ultimately yeah. possible death. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that we were advocating for the population, that when we were going through the stratification of who would get access to tests, who would get access to vaccine, that the communities, specifically communities of color, would not be on the outside looking in. And so that those platforms and those groups allowed us to be able to have conversations in a very thoughtful and, and transparent way that we are talking about a, uh, a community that typically does not get these resources. And so we have to make sure that we are being equitable in our distribution uh, based on what we know uh, and how the population navigates access to care. Uh, so Kenny, you've talked a lot about the work that you have done to serve and reach underserved populations. I'm really curious, what are some of the best ways you have found at Charles Drew to connect with these individuals? Yeah, yeah. so I've always taken the approach, and, and again, being a native of this community, uh, I will say families that are in North Omaha, that, that call North Omaha home are very resilient. That we really figure out a way to make something out of nothing. And so that if given uh, an opportunity to have a quote unquote level playing field, that you can really see a community thrive. I think that far too often we are on the tipping point of surviving, like we're just surviving. And we always talk about how do we get certain segments of the population, specifically Northeast Omaha, uh, well, North, North, well, East Omaha, but North and South Omaha, how do we get them to thrive? And so I think that a big part of this is really providing programs, supports uh, that really uplift and empower the population empower them to make decisions in the best interest of themselves and their family. And so that's what leads. So we are one to make sure that people are equipped with with whatever information is the latest and greatest in technology uh, to help support that, as well as being able to do it in a very thoughtful way. I, I think it's so important that people understand and know that you care. And so if they feel that, and if they feel that you care about them, anything that you can do to help support them in terms of their, their improving their quality of life, they're going to be more receptive to. Uh, I tell folks it does nothing to tell someone that, okay, your A1C is high, you are borderline diabetic, and you need to start exercising and eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Well, if there is no places in the community that you can go and exercise, and if you are limited, we literally are living in not a food desert, a food swamp. Uh, to where you are limited to your access to fresh fruits and vegetables, probability of you really adhering to that care plan is very slim to none. And so it, it, it is really uh, the work that we do is appealing to our patients, uh, but appealing to the broader community to be able to say, these are things that help community thrive and, and be successful. And how do we make sure that we make those things available to our patients and, and individuals in our community? So that's that's really, like I said, at the core of who we are and what we do, always been and will continue to be about people and then advocating in a way that uh, alleviates barriers to them reaching out to more. That's great. Great advice. Kenny, your passion for the work that you do and the people you serve is really inspiring. And I'm going to ask you next my favorite question on the podcast. I ask it on every episode, but I am looking for a, a Kenny McMorris original quote to inspire our audience. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, every mentor that I've had, and, and, and again, whether it's been in sports, whether it's been in leadership, business, uh, you name it, has, has always said that you need to have a personal mission statement. And I think having a personal mission statement, uh, if you put some thought into it, it, it grounds you in, in your thought process. It, it keeps you level-headed in your highs. It, it, it takes you out of the, 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 the depths when you're at your lows. And so um, I always reflect on this mission statement because I think about my life, I think about the people in my life, always been about hard work. And, and um, I wasn't always the smartest kid in the classroom. Um, trust me, I've had a lot of challenges uh, through education and, 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 and getting through education. But one of the things that has always been the core of me, uh, who I am, and, and really I get this from my family and, and my great-grandfather, is just hard work. And so I tell folks, having a personal mission statement is good for you. So um, my personal mission statement is always work hard, never be out work, but above all, always be you. Oh. And so being working hard is so important, whether it's a physical or mental, there's no shortcoming for hard work. Hard work has always been the great equalizer. And so I've always believed that. But most importantly, you got to be who you are and op be open to changing your belief systems. Uh, be open to learning. I think far too often uh, we've had events, and in some cases they may be traumatic events that influence who we are when we're young, and we don't reevaluate those things as we go on. And so I've been fortunate enough in my life to be to interact with a lot of good people, see a lot of great things. And, and so I tell folks to always make sure that you be who you are and, and, and be open to changing that. And so if you're grounded in your purpose, no matter what happened and in my world, there's a lot of KPIs and numbers that you got to hit balance sheets and income statements and and fundraising and all those things and policies. But at the end of the day, living life with purpose is all we could ever ask for. And so um, I think that having that around you, uh, you can never go wrong. As I get older, family becomes more important. Uh, my wife and I have a 12-year-old son and 8-year-old daughter that I just love immensely. And, and so the work that I have an opportunity to do daily really is about how do we create a life better for them. Families that I have a chance to inter interact with, the people that are from North Omaha in my community, how do we make a life better for them? And so if I've done my job here, not only at this organization, but any other organization that, that touches North Omaha, I want to say I want to, this is, I left it better than what it was when I inherited it. And so there were so many other folks that, that poured into me, and this is my way of giving back. Kenny, that is so very well said. So inspirational. I, I love that one. We'll take that quote and we'll turn it into a graphic and we'll put it on social media and it, it might end up on my wall here in my office as well. That's a really good one. So for our listeners who would like to learn more about the work that you're doing at Charles Drew, how can they find you? Yes, yes. So we are all we are on all of the social media platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we have a website. So follow us at uh, charlesdrew.com. If any individuals want access to services, have additional questions, we are also, they can give us a phone call at 402-451-3553. We are still providing testing and vaccines as well. I, I don't want to get off of the show and not make sure that, that we're putting that out. And so 
if you suspect or if you're having signs and symptoms, please do not hesitate to give us a call. Uh, one of the things also, we, we do have the ability to administer uh, the oral antivirals. And so uh, for those that meet certain criteria, we find those to be effective in mitigating severity of COVID if taken appropriately. So uh, we don't want folks to go without uh, while there will continue to keep going through this and there'll be multiple variations of kind of what COVID is going to look like. We just want people to know that Charles Drew is still here. And That's so uh, whether it's COVID, yeah, COVID related or not, we're here. I'm also going to make an appeal for healthcare home. And, and so while we would love to have you here at Charles Drew Health Center, proponent for health and wellness, have a relationship with a primary care provider, someone that you trust, someone that, that respects you and you respect uh, to help manage yourself and your family care. So. All sound advice and all that contact information will get in the show notes too. So if anybody didn't catch the phone number or the website, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Kenny, this has been such an informative and inspiring conversation. As we wrap up our time today, what is the most important thing you would like our listeners to remember about the work that you're doing? Yeah, that uh, truly your health is your wealth. Mm. <laughs> and that I think that you cannot perform in the workplace, you cannot perform at home, uh, you cannot be a great community advocate if you do not have your health. And that is not only your physical health, but also your mental health. And so, so again, it is so important that, that we take the time to focus on ourselves. Uh, again, have a relationship with a primary care provider, uh, preferably here at Charles Drew Health Center, definitely what I would go with. But finally, I will say is that every community has a jewel uh, in a federally qualified health center. And that while it may not be here in Omaha, I would, I would encourage you to identify and locate an FQHC in your respective community. Again, the models are relatively the same. It may look a little different based on the community dynamics, but usually most communities will have an FQHC in their town. I encourage you to reach out and identify who and where that is and partake in the services. Again, we adhere to this, this strict covenant of care and, and operations. And so I can say with a pretty healthy level of certainty uh, that you're going to find a place that you will always feel welcome. So uh, I encourage folks to find a FQHC in the respective communities. That's fantastic. Kenny, I fully believe the world needs more people like you, more organizations like Charles Drew. Thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Absolutely, Lynn. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. I mean, I look forward to, to great things to come from this organization and, and obviously work with you all into the future. So. Uh, we are honored to be able to partner with you and with Charles Drew. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at kidglov.com to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.